Grab your Bibles and let's go to Psalm 43. I'm going to drop these on the floor. It doesn't mean this is how I feel about them, but um, it's just what I got right now. Well, we're calling this series, we're in again Psalm 43. We're calling this series Christ in the Psalms because these are songs pointing to something ultimately. The writers didn't know this when they were writing these psalms, which are songs. But these are songs that are pointing to the ultimate hope we have for Christ to redeem and restore all things. Now look, I'm not under any illusion that any of you are going to go home and sing through these psalms when you get home today for lunch. My hope is that what you do is you would pause, you would grab your Bibles, and you would pray through these both alone and, and maybe even as a family, trusting that as you do that, the Holy Spirit will use these words to draw you deeper into the love and deeper into the assurance and deeper into the hope that is available in Christ by reading these words by men who are really, some of them, as we're going to see this morning, were just in the depths of despair when they wrote these things. So that's kind of your assignment as we go through the summer and we read these psalms. Don't let them just drift away from you after Sunday, but grab them, revisit them. Um, and, And this is kind of what we're going to be talking about this morning is a little bit about our position before God, the way that we come before God. And I was thinking that a lot of times our position before God, the way we come before him in prayer, it it sometimes resembles almost like, like a high school theater production, right? We're like those people who are just kind of, we kind of come down and we, we kind of put on a character and we assume a role before him. And what's interesting about that is that we kind of do that by default. It's kind of who we are a lot of times when we go before the Lord, um, which is interesting because a, a God who is able to see clearly into the darkest corners of our heart and doesn't need us to pretend. Like none of you guys need to pretend with God when you come before him. I mean, he's not caught off guard when you're having a crisis. That's not what's happening with him. He's not a God who either slams the door on us when we're honest about being angry and confused and a little perplexed about what the heck is going on in our lives. So when God's word confronts your heart and it asks you, and this is what's happening, all right? When God's word confronts your heart, it's essentially asking you, how are you doing? What's going on? I mean, you don't have to say, good. You know, how's it going? Great. I mean, that's, that's not the expectation when we open God's word and we're confronted with it. And in fact, if you go into the New Testament, you see the way uh, Jesus how he takes issue with people in the Bible who, who are the ones that are acting like everything's cool when everything is clearly not cool. Things are clearly not awesome. We, we see that in the parable of the Pharisee in the tax collector, don't we? When the Pharisee just comes up and he's all pompous and he's arrogant and he's thumping his chest and he's like, man, I'm glad I'm not like those people who need repentance and forgiveness. And then he sees a tax collector who says, God, forgive me, I'm a sinner. Who, who's... Who's the guy that God received? Well, he received the one who had a humble and contrite heart. And so what we understand when we read the Psalms is that we understand that these are men that are just literally engrossed and just baking in what we would call in sort of our modern vernacular drama. Drama. Like we experience that, don't we? That D word. We experience drama. I mean, if you, if you have parents, I think everybody here does. I don't, last time I checked, that's how it works. If you have parents, you've experienced drama. If you have friends, you've experienced drama. If you've had kids, why am I even talking right now? If you have siblings, I have four siblings, drama. 
drama. If you have teachers, right? You're in school. You're a student right now. I mean, you're just not loving everything that comes out of their mouth up there from the front. Let's be honest about that. Drama. Drama. Relationships create drama. Let me just state it to you this way. If you've ever had a relationship with anyone in this world for the entirety of your lives with somebody other than yourselves, you've experienced drama. That's what's going on in your life. And so what we're going to see here as we dive into Psalm 43 is the psalmist here, the man who's writing this psalm, he's kind of a complex guy. And that's kind of what our emotions do to us. They create complexities. Sin creates complexities. Sin doesn't just clear the air. Sin doesn't make everything just crystal for us, does it? And so we see the psalmist, some of the things he's facing here, it creates complexity in his life. He can't contain his depression. He can't contain the feelings he has that God has forgotten about him. I mean, this is a brother that is drowning in the drama. And let me say this as, as we dive in. This is a brother who doesn't simply have an acquaintance with God. Let me say that again. This is a dude that doesn't just have an acquaintance with God. All right? He knows God. He's known by God. This is a friend of God who needs to find God again. And so as we read this, as we dive into this, we're going to notice that he has a pattern for that. He has a pattern that he has for searching and finding the God that he has forgotten still exists in his life. So we're going to see three things that happen. Number one, he, he voices his disappointment with God. And number two, he calls on God to help him think rightly. And then three, he confesses what he knows to be true. So this is a song, this is a prayer, this is a pattern for us to lock into and to understand. So let's, let's dive into it. Psalm 43. All the fans just lost my place, and um, I need about 20 minutes here to find Psalm 43. Psalm 43 says this. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. I'm going to stop right there for now, and we're going to step through this. If you've ever wondered what it is you're allowed to pray before God, you want to tuck this thing, you want to talk, tuck 43, Psalm 43, tuck it in your back pocket, right? If you've ever wondered what it is you're allowed to pray, the psalmist here, the guy writing this psalm, which is one of these sons of Korah, is what we're, we're told, probably a musician, um, what we see here with him is we, we kind of can get a sense of his tone right here, don't we? I mean, this is a dude that's exasperated. He's writing something exasperating. I mean, there are moments when we have reached our end point, isn't there? Like, man, I'm to the end of everything I know when we're out of options. Do you guys ever feel that way? Like you have those days and those weeks and those seasons where nothing is working anymore. It's like when, you, like when you're flipping through the remote and nothing but, but static keeps coming up on the channels. I don't know, you know, because your Roku's gone and the little circle keeps going around. Like nothing's coming up. Like you're, you're doing it, but nothing's becoming clear. And right here with this, right in the first verse, you can feel the desperateness. There's a desperateness to the tone and to the words of this guy. I remember... In 1984, I'm going to date myself here a little bit. I remember in 1984, my dad was, was losing his business. Every, the economy had taken just a downturn at that time in the, in the country. And uh, he was a business owner. He was losing his business. 
And I remember, man, there was just this one day. There was this one day, right? And uh, so the house is being foreclosed on. Like, that's already in motion. That's happening. Um, the air conditioning decided to go out in one of the biggest heat waves in Southern California history. No joke. No lie. Um, 100 plus degree heat wave. Um, and then that morning, this dude with a tow truck comes down our kind of windy driveway and uh, repossessed our gray station wagon, you know? And I'm just going to be honest, nobody was really too sad about that one, you know, repossessing the gray <laughs> station wagon. Um, but I remember, I remember watching my pops, all right? I remember, I remember watching him. He, he eventually sat down, and he was just sort of staring out the window. And I remember standing about 20 feet away, just kind of looking at him, wondering what was going through his mind. And I just, man, I remember seeing a look of just lostness in his face. I mean, just a, just a look of fear in the lines of his face. As I could tell, he was straining for answers. I remember. I mean, that's kind of the heart of this man writing this psalm. And he kind of just jumps right in. And you notice he's like, God, let's forego the pleasantries here. Man, I don't have time for small talk. I need something from you. And what I need is vindication. I need defense. I need deliverance from men who, who aren't on my side. For men who don't just drop by for cold beverages and calves games. That's what I need right now. I need defense. I need someone to come by my side. I need you to account for me, to speak for me, to defend me. Man, we were doing some shopping last week and we just walked past this guy. It was a weird thing and he was on the phone. You know, some guys walk when they're on the phone and by being on the phone, that means actually like you're talking into the phone. You're not clicking into the phone. So this guy, we walked past this guy who was on the phone. He's like talking super loud. So obviously I'm not eavesdropping on purpose. It's just right there in front of me. I have no other choice but to listen to every word he was saying. And uh, he said this, this is kind of what stuck out. He said this, he goes, well, if you don't need me, you don't need me then. Then he like let out this big, long sigh. You know, we looked at him, and Melissa and I looked at each other, and it just, it was like he stopped, and you could see just the disposition of a man that was in, like, sort of the, the, sort of the, 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 the momentum of a collapse, almost, you know? And it was heartbreaking to see, because, because I've been there. Like, that wasn't something I can't relate to. That's not something that most of you can't relate to, right? You've lost power. I mean, there are people who aren't concerned about you right now. Your name and your reputation maybe has been drugged through the mud. Maybe you've lost the ability and the platform to defend yourself. And here's where it becomes muddy and complex as we look into this brother in Psalm 43, is that he, he hasn't traded out his faith. That's not what's going on here. He knows that God is there. He's just wondering if God cares. Verse 2. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. And then he says this. He says, why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Let's stop. The writer is saying, look, it's not like my life is a mess because I walked away from you. It's not like my life is a mess because, because I tried to cash a bunch of you know, bad checks and I'm suffering the consequences. He's saying, you're the God I serve. I'm putting that on notice right now. Let me remind you, I serve you. I take refuge in you. That's not up for debate right now, all right? The argument is, 
is if I find my refuge in God, then why am I in this unsafe place? If he's my shelter, why am I being rained on and rained out? I mean, this brother's essentially calling God, really? On one of the most common arguments you hear from people who don't share the faith, which is, if God is good, why are bad things happening? Why is that happening to me right now? That's the question that he's ultimately asking. And what's funny is that when I get asked that question from somebody, when I get asked that question from a believer or a non-believer, somebody who's in crisis mode, man, I just get all intellectual on them. I just go all intellectual. I just, you know, let me break it out. Let me tell you. Well, I, you know, let me upload my Word doc on total depravity. And I'm just going to go, well, here's the thing. God is good. We're not. And in reality, we rejected Him. So it's not surprising when bad things happen to us because it's a reflection of our fallenness before God. But it's also a reflection of His grace and mercy because most of the time, He spares us despite our turning from Him to follow our own wills and desires. And then I'm like, you know, shut the book. All right, we good? Like, we got that? You feel good now? Can you carry on? Are we going to still angst about this? But, but what, about, what, what about when I have to ask the question? Like, what about when you have to ask the question? What about when it's not just coming to you, but it's coming from you and through you? What about when you're wondering where he is? The psalmist here, he shows us that it's acceptable to ask that question. It's acceptable to voice those concerns. Why does life stink if I have a savior? Why? And let me just interject that thought and say as an encouragement that only a Christian has the ability to ask that question. Do you guys realize that? Only a believer has the ability to ask that question. Only someone who is known by God can ask the God they know why they're being rejected by him. And there's something amazing about that. And pause on that. Think about that. That we actually have a God that we can go to and say, God, where are you? Think about what that means. What it means is that in those moments, you have a God. It means you have a God that allows you, someone he created from dust, call him on his availability. I mean, that's just phenomenal when you start unpacking the implications of that. And the very fact that you, oh dusty one, can ask a God who never leaves or forsakes you why he's left and forsaken you says something about what you believe, not about the one you're believing in. So we want to be really clear about that. We want to hold that thought. I'm going to come back to that and unpack that in a minute. I'm going to be stoked uh, to do that. So number one. We are allowed to voice our disappointment with God like we see the psalmist here. Two, we are also to do what this brother does, which is call on God to help us think rightly about God. Let's go verse three. He says this right after those first two verses. He goes, send out your light and your truth. He says, let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. So what this brother's doing right now is he's praying for three things. He understands the predicament he's in. He understands that his emotions and his feelings are shaky. So he prays for these three things. He prays for vision, he prays for truth, and he prays for presence. So first, I mean, this is a guy that acknowledges he's not seeing straight. He's not seeing things straight straight. 
And there's something intrinsic to us as humans that when there's a problem, we think that God must be the one with the problem. And he needs to fix it because daddy's not happy. And that's called a blurry vision is what it's called. And when our vision is blurry, when we have that kind of obscured vision, truth then becomes obscured. So the psalmist here, what he's doing, what he's doing after those first two verses is he's catching himself. He knows he's not seeing things straight. He says, send out your light, send out your truth. He's saying this, illuminate my heart so that my mind can think clearly. He's saying, let your light and truth lead me and bring me to your holy hill. In other words, back to where you already are. I mean, nothing else is going to do that. I need clear vision to see what's true so that I can offer you praise and be met with joy that exceeds the complexities of the crisis that I'm in. That's what he's dealing with right here. The writer knows his prescription, doesn't he? He knows what his prescription needs to be. And he calls it in, man. He phones that thing in. He write-aids that thing in. He CVSs that thing in. I don't know where you get your meds. I'm just trying to cover all my bases right here. He knows his prescription. Do you know? Do you know what that is? When you find yourself where this brother is finding himself, do you know what the prescription is for Christians in crisis? Do you know what it, what it says it right here? It says... It says light and truth. Do you know that it's that? Light and truth? Light and truth? Is that all you got, Martin? Light and truth? Not good enough? Well, what do you prescribe for yourself then? What is your prescription? I mean, I want to keep this PG rated, but you ask yourself what medication techniques you implore, and then let me ask you how those are working out for you. All right? And what I mean is this, is that when I have a headache, man, I, I take some ibuprofen because it alleviates my headache. I mean, I don't chew on a handful of Skittles. I mean, yeah, I do that too, but that's not really what's like going to alleviate the pain that I'm feeling in my head. But that's what many of you do when your life has taken a downturn, believing that your diagnosis of the sitch, and by sitch, I mean situation, is correct. That's what happens. But what this guy realizes is that his emotions cloud his judgment. And so he does this. He prays. He says, help me see clearly so that I can come back to what is true. He's saying, get my feet back on solid ground and come back into your joyful presence and praise you. What's unusual here for us is to see someone in turmoil make this kind of resolve. Because I'm telling you, that doesn't mimic a lot of the pattern of my life. To see someone stop and pray for their need for vision, for truth, and for God's presence. I mean, this is godly self-awareness. This is a prayer. This is a daily prayer for us. God, make me aware of where I'm at and where you already have been. That's godly self-awareness. I mean, do you follow this pattern? Is this a pattern that you follow in your life? I mean, look what happens when when he does. It it causes him then to, to argue with himself. To come to conclusions about God, many times it comes by arguing within ourselves. And what this brother does is he argues and he comes to a right conclusion. Listen, not because his feelings line up with facts. Because his feelings are not lining up with facts. And that's because our temperaments are not always in line with the truth. 
So this guy voices his disappointment. He calls on God to help him think rightly. And three, he confesses what he knows is true about God. Let's read verse 5. It says, Why are you cast down, O my soul? So now we see this pattern where he prays, but he's actually arguing within himself. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. I mean, don't you love this? You see what happens? You see what happens after he, after he sort of weaves through this conclusionary process? He basically says, why so sad? Why are you so bummed out? Knowing this, knowing about this light and truth that will lead you, why so sad? Instead, hope in the God of all hope. Because his salvation indicates that, man, my future is secure, it's assured, and it's preferred. All right? I wasn't trying to rhyme that. It just came out that way. It just came out that way. Because last time I checked, for me, man, my impressions and my feelings have a pretty consistent failure rate. They're just not that reliable. If I had a nickel for every time I was sure about something that turned out to be untrue, I'd have like hundreds of dollars right now. I'd have hundreds. I'd I'd take you guys all out to Linder's for wings after the service. That's how much money I would have. But you know what's interesting when you get to the end of this passage? You know what the big surprise here? You know what I love about this as we sort of dig into sort of the depths of what this brother is going through? What I love is that there's no surprise. There's no surprise. There's no bang. The man is resolved, all right? But his situation has remained. He's resolved, but the sitch has remained. And maybe, I don't know, maybe you have some extra verses in your version that mine doesn't. But it's not like this dude just received justice and vindication. And then he came up with his outlook, his new outlook on life. I mean, that doesn't happen anywhere in there. He's asking himself the question of why is his soul cast down? Not because Angel Gabriel appeared with a shotgun and mowed down his enemies. That doesn't happen anywhere in there. We're not reading that. That's not how the story ends, man. As much as we'd like it to, if we're honest, or we just really enjoy violence. That's not what happens. Paul tells us in Romans 12, he says this, understanding the distance that we will experience, he says, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. And that's the pattern we see from this psalmist. Because what's happening here, without this resolve of the situation, the circumstance, this just gives us an unbelievably better ending. Unbelievably better ending. Why? Well, because nowhere are we promised heaven, this side of heaven. The Bible talks about us enduring with hope. If there's nothing to endure, I mean, I'm not the brightest guy in the room, but if there's nothing to endure, then why do we need hope? Why does the Bible press hope? I mean, the psalmist here remembers where his hope and salvation is found because he actually needs it. Amen. Ain't none of you all going to achieve paradise in a world not capable of delivering paradise to us. But the Christian has a hope beyond the chaos, beyond the injustice, beyond the brokenness of this world. And the hope, that hope that this brother is pointing to, the ultimate hope is Christ. The ultimate hope is Christ who suffered something bizarrely similar to what this guy experienced. 
Nobody was vindicating Jesus when he hung on the cross. Nobody was there just sticking up for him, right? Nobody defended the cause of Jesus against the injustice of those who slandered and accused him. There was nobody around. Who was with Jesus when he cried out, My God, why have you forsaken and rejected me? Who was with him in that moment? And yet, Jesus, the light of the world, was raised to be the light and truth of God for us. So that our vision could be clear. And our joy might exceed the trials and the troubles that we expect to experience in this broken world. James 1 says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. How can James... How can James, the brother of Jesus here, expect us to count trials as all joy? I mean, I want to smack that guy. I mean, how, how can he call us to do that? Well, because suffering and trials and being slandered is how God prepares us for perfection. Hebrews 12 says, we look to Jesus our model, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, the suffering that was set before him, the slandering that was set before him, the cruel and unjust punishment that was set before him, the joy that was set before him endured that, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Ronnie, it's hard because I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen when everything is falling apart around me. But you do. You do know what's going to happen. If you look to Christ, you know what's going to happen. Ronnie, I just want to know what my future is going to be. I don't have a clear picture about my future. Yes, you do. This is your future. The future that Christ had is the future we have. If we have Christ. And our expectation can be hope. Because God is the only God in existence who has never lied. So voice your disappointment. Pray for cleared vision. Confess what you know. Not what you feel. Confess what you know is true about God. So here's three implications as we finish this morning we look at this passage number one our emotions don't always tell us the truth about god our emotions don't always tell us the truth about god we cannot purchase truth with the currency of our emotions they're not trustworthy since when do you think that you can bank on everything you've ever felt but we kind of do we just default to that i mean just take an even cursory look into your past and find out how wrong you've been about things that you thought and felt were true. I mean, our history is like a junkyard of bankrupted emotions, isn't it? We cannot purchase truth with the currency of our emotions. Because of that, our emotions don't always give us an accurate information about God. So pray how you feel, like this brother. Pray about your feelings, but read what is true and believe what you know. Two, silence allows us to hear what God has already said. 
mean, this is a brother fighting with the silence of not knowing if God is there, not hearing from God, thinking and believing God has rejected him. So he's kind of going through what we'd call a deafening silence, a deafening roar of a dark night of the soul. But here's the thing that we know about God, okay? God ordained silence. So if things are silent is because God has said, I'm going to make things silent. When it feels like God has gone quiet, has God gone quiet? He hasn't. I mean, it's like when you put your earbuds in, right? So I like to walk to church, you know, during the week. I put my earbuds in. It's not like the rest of the world actually goes silent when I put the earbuds in and I click. That's not what's happening right there. I've simply drowned out the sound that's already there. And then when I pull them out, I, I finally hear what's actually there again. And that's what God does. He pulls out your earbuds and it feels quiet and it feels unsettling. But it's God quieting you. That's what God's doing. He's quieting you so that you will hear what he's been saying all along. And believe his promise of hope and salvation. So our emotions don't always tell us the truth about God. Silence allows us to hear when God has already said. And three, hope appears when we return to truth. The question is always, man, who or what is your supplier? Who's your supplier of hope? What is your supplier of hope? And if hope has been absent in your life, like it has many times in mine, I'd love to sit down and ask you a few questions. I'd love to ask where you've been hanging out. Where have you been hanging? What activities have you been engaging in? Who have you been speaking to? What have you been reading? What have you been watching? Because when we return to truth, You know what happens in that moment? Hope appears. Hope reappears. And it's not that it's left. It's just that we've been blinded to it. The psalmist remembered God. And when we remember God, you know what that brings us to? It brings us to remembering Christ. And remembering Christ leads us to hope. And you know what's contained in hope? We just throw out that word, don't we? Hope. But what's contained in hope when we talk about hoping in God, our salvation? Love. Love is contained in hope. And we can remember that the God of all hope is the God of all love and reconciliation and forgiveness. And we can remember that if Jesus died for those who betrayed him, won't he listen to those who bring their brokenness before him? He will, because he's a good God. And he wants us to remember the hope that he's given us in Christ to clear our vision, to be able to see it and to live it once again. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the hope that we so often forget. We walk away, but it remains. This is a hope that was bought and paid for by Christ on the cross. And it's a great hope. It's a reliable hope. It's a never-ending hope. And what's contained in that hope is your love. And so, Lord, this morning, I pray that you would allow us to remember that. That you would allow us to come before you honestly and voice those things and those times when we feel distant from you. And we can ask you if you were there. Lord, we pray, Lord, that you would clear our mind 
We pray that you would send us your light and your truth. Lord, we pray that you would remind us always that our emotions play tricks on us and that in reality, you are the one that is there. You are the one that is constant in our lives. You are the one that gives us the ultimate hope that we have because in Jesus, everything that he accomplished is ultimate for us. Thanks for that truth. Forgive us for forgetting that truth. Draw us back into it. Let us go before you with honest, humble, and contrite hearts, we pray. And all God's people said, amen.